Betches Media presents Betches Moms with hosts Aileen Drexler and Brittany Levine. Get ready to lock yourself in the bathroom or wherever else you hide from your kids because you'll literally never be alone again. Hello and welcome to the Betches Moms podcast. I'm Brittany and I want to welcome Shira back to the podcast today as Aileen is on vacation. Hi, I'm so excited to be back today. Thank you for having me. Excited to have you as a co-host for the day. And we're also joined by the author and host of Here We Read podcast, Sharnay Gordon. Yes, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Yeah, welcome. We're very excited to have you. We're excited to talk about the topic of diversity. It's definitely a topic that all parents will confront, and it's definitely important to talk about. So I think we all have a lot to learn and excited to hear what you have to teach us. Yeah, I've been following your account for a while. I definitely look to you for advice on age-appropriate books. I have Brittany and I both have two kids. Um, they're close in age, but my older daughter's four and a half and she's in pre-K and there's been, she's definitely exploring and noticing and observant and sometimes says things that I don't know how to answer. And, you know, your account is great. And so we're just so excited that you wanted to come on today. So thank you so much. So we can jump right in. Yeah. You're so welcome. So before we really dive into all the questions, could you tell us a little bit more about your background and about Here We Read? For sure. Yeah. So I'm Sharnay Gordon, and uh, I have an interesting journey and path. I, well, first of all, I'm a wife and mom. I've uh, been married to my husband now for 17 years. We have two children, a boy and a girl. They're ages eight and nine. And, you know, they are our world. In addition to that, my educational background is in uh, IT, so computer science. So I have a master's and bachelor's degree in computer science, and I did that work for over 15 years of my life. I was a computer programmer, uh, you know, working in, in IT, very much still a tech nerd. I love all things tech and, you know, computers and everything. But I've always had this love of reading and writing and literacy and education. And so I've always been a big reader. And even before I became a parent, one of the things that I knew I wanted to do if I was ever blessed to have children was to read with my read books with my kids daily. Like, you know, when you become a parent, you are not given obviously a manual or instructions on how to be a parent. Right. <laughs> but I knew the one thing that I could nail with my motherhood journey was instilling a love of reading in my children. And, you know, I, I do hope uh, that I've done that. I, I, I think I've done that. But um, that was the one thing that was my main goal becoming a parent is I wanted to read books with my kids every day. And I did that when they were in the womb and, you know, obviously when they were born. And it's still something that I do today. But all of that to say, I started a blog in 2015, February 2015. And at the time when I started the blog, my kids were ages one and two. And when I started, I was really looking for a creative outlet to expand on my love of writing and love of reading 
And at the time, some of my friends had children around the same time that I did. And so people would always ask for book recommendations, like what was I reading or what was I reading with my kids? And I said, you know what, let me just start blogging about this. And I did. And I did that while still working a full-time corporate job, just as a side thing. And it has now become my full-time job uh, seven years later, working as a full-time content creator, influencer, speaker, and now a children's book author. That's awesome. It sounds like you really are now able to continue doing something every day that you love and it's your passion. That's awesome. Right. In addition to that, I started a podcast. So I have my own podcast too, which is an extension of my blog, as well as I'm a nonprofit founder. So I founded a nonprofit uh, literacy agency um, or or 501c3, and it's called uh, 50 States, 50 Books. And that was a way to get my kids involved in this literacy things as well. So we basically uh, donate and collect uh, diverse books for children. And then we donate them all across the country for free. That's great. That's amazing. So a lot of what you talk about is about kids having access to diverse and inclusive books. Was this something that you were just always very passionate about when you started reading to your kids and this kind of became the main theme behind what you do? It, it was. When I became a parent – I wanted to, you know, as I said, read read daily with my children, but I wanted to also read my children books where they could see themselves reflected on the pages back to them. And when I was growing up, I didn't have a lot of that. You know, the closest that I had was Corduroy, which isn't even about like you wouldn't think about think of it as a quote unquote diverse book. But for me, it was the, the character, Lisa, who was in that book, Corduroy, by Don Freeman. Lisa was this little you know, Black girl, and she looked like me. She wore her hair like me. She lived in an apartment building like I did growing up. And that was like the closest thing that I had to a, you know, quote, diverse book growing up. And I cherish that book. I still love that book. I even read it with my kids today. But um, it was important for me to teach my kids not only about us and our culture and to love themselves for everything that they are, the way they look, but also to be aware of other cultures, right? We live in this massive, diverse world where, you know, there's so many different cultures, cultures and different people with different abilities and disabilities. And I wanted my children to think that that was normal. And what better way to do that than showing them through the pages of a book? Right. I notice. I mean, obviously, I've been following your account. And I just noticed from bookstores and online and even Amazon, there's a plethora of more options of diversity across the board. And then I look at old books that maybe my in-laws have or my parents have. And it's so obvious that they were not diverse at all. Even, you know, those Disney books and the Disney movies from when we were little, I can't believe that that's, those are the things that we read and that we were exposed to. And so I can't imagine how that must have been as a child to feel like nobody looks like me on the TV or in books. And so that, you know, it's incredible that obviously that drove you to, you know, for, as a passion to want to improve that for your children for sure. Um, 
how can you explain uh, the other side of that and how important it is for white families to educate their children and even themselves or their friends and their communities on why that's so important um, to teach their kids about diversity, you know, not, not just race, but all, all areas of diversity. For sure. You know, for me, it all boils down to teaching people to be kind to one another, right? Teaching people about acceptance and having empathy for different people. Like that's what diversity is, right? Like how can you, you know, how can you do that? You know, you just, you just, if you want to do it through books, you know, fine. But if you are, you know, if you don't live in an area that's, you know, diverse, um, you can do that by, by, by going to the library and picking up a book, right? And it doesn't have to be uh, a book about, you know, teaching your kids about skin color, right? If you want to do that, that's fine, right? That's one way to do it. But you don't have to do that. You can just pick up a book about a kid being an everyday kid who just happens to be a child of color, right? Maybe it's a kid who loves to play video games and they just happen to be a child of color. They're having the same experience that your children would have. They just look different, right? Right. And so it's not really about, you know, drilling in kids' minds like, well, you have to, you have to, you know, love everybody and uh you know and it's important to you know the whole racism thing like it's it's yes that's important i'm not i'm not trying to diminish that at all um but you can really just read a book about a child who just happens to look different than yours but it's having a a similar experience right and you don't have to necessarily focus on the skin color or the cultural differences like a lot of people do. It's just like, you're just reading a story about a kid yeah. who likes to play video games. Like, that's it. And if your child, if you're reading it and then your child notices that the child looks different than, than you know, you or your family does, then you kind of bring that into the conversation. You know what I mean? But it doesn't have to be like this big, oh gosh, it's so, you know, there's this uh, quote I heard before, like, you don't want to teach your kids like diversity is like broccoli, right? We don't want to try to shove it down their throat. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not it's not that, you know, you it's know what not. I mean? Like there, that's an element of it. Right. But it's not solely the thing. I think that's great advice because admittedly for myself, like I think when I have to teach my child diversity, I think, you know, oh, I have to be very upfront about like things that they might hear or they should like recognize up front. But really it's just about being subtle about it and making it the norm. That's it. That's it. You, and uh, you also want to find out what do they know, right? If they, you also, that's like the big thing. Finding out what your kids already know, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't have to say too much, at that time, then don't, right? Don't make it like this overpowering thing, like, and then get yourself all worked up. Oh, I don't know the right things to say. You know, you know, I don't know how to address this. Find out what your kid knows. See if they have any questions specifically, right? Um, if not, you don't, ne- you don't necessarily need to address it until the time comes, right? And again, I'm not saying, um, I'm not trying to diminish the, the, the fact of talking to your kids about race, because it's a very serious thing, right? Yeah. But if, you know, if if you feel like this is the time to do it, absolutely do it, right? Um, you know, 
parents of color, we don't have the opportunity to say, ah, I'm going to table that discussion until my kid is in like eighth grade. And then we'll talk about. Right. When do you start that conversation? And did you, do you remember a conversation as a child that your parents had with you? Brittany and I were talking about that. I don't remember really my parents talking to me about race, but I, I think it was maybe a little bit different because I grew up outside DC in a very diverse area. So not just race, but also socioeconomically. So I don't think that I heard a lot of stereotypes that I notice that people my age say, maybe from yeah. if they grew up in predominantly white areas. And I also noticed that through my older daughter because she hears things that kids yeah. say to her. And then that makes me think like, oh, I need to explain this to her. Um, so, but I'm just curious, you know, I think that's really important. And that's something that we talk about a lot in terms of the differences is parents of things that, you know, maybe our privilege has allowed us to sort of ignore that you, you know, you didn't have as a child. And um, so if you want to share, if you're open to it, how maybe that experience went for you as a child and even now as a parent. Yeah, for sure. So I remember like my family didn't sit me down and necessarily have, you know, the talk, right? Um, back then, yes, it, it was a thing. But, you know, for, for you know, we ha- I heard through conversation and it, it's one of those things that you just kind of pick up as a child of like back, back in the day, mm-hmm. like, right? Uh, for me, that's how my experience was. Obviously, once I got older, once I became a teenager um, and definitely by the time I was in college, like I knew enough, um, and I was told more as I as I got older, right? Um, but for me now, as a parent, uh, I had that conversation with my kids when they were like just in a very age appropriate ways at like ages four and five, and it's it's scary, right? It's not a it's not a comfortable conversation. Um, I have a black daughter and I have a black son. And I have a black husband, right? And mm-hmm. I'm black. So for any of us can be a target at any time, right? No matter where we live. Yes, we live in a, you know, suburban neighborhood, but it can happen to us here too, right? Um, and so, yeah, I started having those conversations with my kids when they were like, you know, four and five. But we've been reading books about, you know, race and racism or, just affirming. It, it was more when they were younger, I would read them more affirming books, mm-hmm. like teaching them to love themselves, you know, their skin color, their hair, right? Like all, their body, like all of these kind of aff- affirming messages when they were smaller. Um, and then when they get a little bit bigger, you know, they're going to hear things once they start going to school, especially they're going right. to hear things. They're going to see things on TV, um, and so you just kind of have to start having those conversations. For me, it was like between ages four and five. And then, of course, my husband takes a totally different approach, especially with my with our son. Mm-hmm. And now my son is uh, he's eight. And so, you know, the conver- the conversation becomes a lot more serious, like, hey, you know, this is this is the way the world is. Unfortunately, it's not fair, but um these are the things that you may encounter as you get older, right? And it's the same right. conversation with my daughter too. It doesn't change. But yeah, we start we start probably a lot earlier. 
But I think, you know, I don't know if there's necessarily a, a, a right age, um, but it's definitely a conversation that even um, non-families of color, I would be having with my children too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially right. if they start asking questions. Yeah, definitely. Right? For sure. I kind of want to circle back a little bit. You'd mentioned your nonprofit um, that you started with your kids called 50 States, 50 Books to help close the literacy gap in America. Could you tell us a little bit more about, about that and just why it's so crucial in America to have this? For sure. So in we started this in 2018. And back, it was summer of 2018. Uh, back then, it was um, really, I didn't even know that it was even going to take off or be a thing, right? It was just an idea that I had. And people jumped on board. People were like, oh my God, this is such a great idea. And then once I started reaching out to um, different people, um, in the beginning, it was just a side thing. We, we didn't establish into a nonprofit until last year, 2021. Um, but in the beginning, I was like trying to find places to donate these books to uh, each of the you know 50 states throughout the uh, Uh, America. And the need that I kind of came across was just staggering. Like you run into educators who they just don't have a budget for their classroom. They want to have diverse books in their classroom, but their school doesn't have a budget and they can't afford to come out of pocket to build up their classroom library. Um, So you have schools across the country that want diversity, um, but they don't have the budget to do it. Then you have different nonprofit organizations that are struggling. You have uh, libraries that are, you know, even some libraries that are struggling as well. And so the need is just so great. And that was part of the reason why I wanted to do this is to get, you know, help get more diverse books into the hands of kids that need them most. Right. Um, That was my that was my main goal. And that's why we started doing this. Um, to date, um, we have donated over 5,000 books. We're currently making our, our way around the U.S. Uh, for a third time, donating books to each of the 50 U.S. states. Um, so our goal is to finish by June of this year. And uh, once we finish, that'll be our third time doing this, um, donating books to each of the 50 U.S. states. So that'll be over 7,500 books that we've donated. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. So we did talk about the types of books that we want to introduce and um, like when the appropriate age is to be reading to our kids about these things. What are some of those books? So let's say like your favorite books from maybe toddler to adolescent and up. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is always such a hard question because I have so many favorites, so many. So each year I do like this massive list of, um, and I call it the ultimate list of diverse uh, children's books. And so I have a list of all the books that are coming out, you know, this year. So I did one for 2022 and books that I'm like, just really excited about. Um, Gosh, I can't even just rattle like a few off of my list, but I do have a few here that I've read uh, so far this year. And I think there's one in here from last year. So this one right here is called One Wish. And 
It's one wish, Fatima Al-Firi and the world's oldest, oldest, sorry, excuse me, uh, Fatima Al-Firi and the world's oldest university. And it's about the oldest university in the world. It's actually in Morocco. Oh, cool. And it was started in 859 by this woman, and she is a Muslim woman, and the university is still operational today. So this is an example of a, you know, diverse and inclusive, you know, children's picture book. Uh, This is, you know, like a biography about her life. Um, but it just, it just so happens that she is a Muslim woman of color, right? This is just like one example, but I really like this book. It, you know, again, it's called One Wish. Here's another one, another fun one that I have. It's called Stella Keeps the Sun Up. That's so cute. Isn't it cute? And yeah, so I love that cover. yeah, this one just came out like a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, again, it's just a a little girl and her sidekick, a talking hippopotamus. (laughs) (laughs) And their goal, like Stella just doesn't want to go to bed. She doesn't want to go to bed. And she, her goal is to keep the sun up. And, you know, that's like the the premise behind the book. But it's just a super cute story. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to kind of bring up is like, they mention, I believe, like, this book is a cross between, you know, so, so like just I was looking at how somebody like described who Stella is. Yeah. And so it's always like, oh, it's fancy Nancy meets Eloise. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, why can't she just be Stella? Right. Right. Those are two right. white story characters. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's always like this white default mm-hmm. when, um, when people, especially like when I read like synopsises of books and stuff, it's like, oh, it's Harry Potter meets, you know, Narnia or whatever. And it's like, no, yeah. this book is, is, is what it is, right? Yeah. It might be similar to that, but right. like we can have our own stories too, right? right? We don't always right. have to be, be like Fancy Nancy or like Eloise. Right. right? If anything, it's more the commonality and the behavior, right? Every toddler bites you at bedtime. So that's right. That's it. Stella is just like, you know, I could say that to my older daughter, Sophie, like, you know, you don't want to go to bed. Now they're just Stella. Like, let's read this book. Yeah, that's it. And it's a perfect example of what you were saying earlier. It's not outright teaching the diversity, but it's showing that there are people that might not look like you, but they're going through the same exact Mm -hmm. thing. That you're right. feeling it's that exposure, and just sort of bringing more exposure into their everyday life more naturally, I think, and then that way mm-hmm. um, it just becomes. I think it it helps sort of maybe even it out a little bit, especially if you maybe don't live in an area that's um, as diverse and you're not seeing as many like people in person that yep. or different types of people in person that you would maybe like, you know. And I also even notice it with TV shows. Um, like even on Netflix, you know, there's yep. <laughs> a variety of different ethnicities and cultures and religions yeah. now in the shows, which is really great. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just think like stories are are so important, right? Whether there would be stories from TV or, you know, the, a magazine or a book, we all thrive on stories like from our childhood, mm-hmm. right? Um, even when we're talking to our friends, it's like, 
somebody's telling you, you know, if you might ask, oh, how was your day? It's like they're they're going to walk you through like a story of their day. And so stories is, is how we communicate with with each other and, and our and our world, our our world. And uh, stories can help to connect us and, you know, bring us together. It can sh- they can show us things that we may have in common and things that we we might not agree on. And that's OK. Right. Um, but I just think stories are so powerful. And that's one of the things that I love about reading and books. And um, you can you can get lost in so many stories and learn so many different things. Um, and, you know, again, you don't always have to agree with everything that you read or everything that you see. But if you can just be kind to other people and just learn things like acceptance, right? Right. Um, That is what's going to make you a better human. So we we just spoke about books for kids that could be really great tools for us as parents to help have these conversations. What about books for adults that could help us? I have a a list of uh, books for adults, you know, who may want to dive into, you know, hey, I, you know, I want to, I want to learn this. I want to understand this. I want to be a better human, right? Yeah. And maybe it's, it's, that is where we start as parents. We need to learn ourselves, especially as we were saying, you know, we didn't necessarily grow up with all these things and these conversations. So it is a little new for us to be so open about all of it because it's especially become such a big conversation and of how we need to talk to our kids, which is amazing. So we really need to kind of go back and educate ourselves and make sure that it continue. we all continue to stay educated and we start with our children. So it, it is important for us to be reading these books as well. That's it. That's absolutely it, Brittany. It's you cannot go to your children and start talking about the, you know, the importance of, of accepting people for if their race, right? Their, their abilities. If you don't truly believe it in your heart, right? Kids right. are absolutely. so, right. so smart. That they right. will read you like a book. They will see right through you. And if your actions don't match what you're saying, they're going to be like, what, mom, what, dad, you know, or what, grown up? Like, yeah, you're not practicing what you preach. Totally. You were just talking about, you were just telling, you know, Grandpa Joe a joke, you know, about X, Y, Z. And so you can't go to kids with these kinds of messages and try to, you know, teach them this if it's not something that you truly are passionate about or something that you truly believe. You just can't. Right. If you don't emulate it yourself. And that's something that I started to notice as my daughter turned four and started, I, she would come home from school. I would hear her say things. And even if we were at other family members, houses, maybe things that they would joke about, you know, I sort of, I start cutting people off and, you know, I tell them separately, like, I don't want you talking like that in front of my kids and you shouldn't be talking like that in general or, you know, just sort of like standing up for it as well, because, you know, I don't know, you know, we obviously learned from our parents and I think there was a different way of parenting. And now, you know, Brittany and I talk about this a lot about 
you have to acknowledge your kids and you have to explain things to them. And if you ignore them, you're just reinforcing it. So it's, it goes the same, you know, in sort of any setting that you might be in. That's right. We do have a couple of questions from listeners. What do I do if my child says someone sounds funny because they have an accent? Mm, Good question. I would say, you know, the first thing you want to do is, yes, acknowledge that, right? Acknowledge that they've made that observation, right? Great observation. That is so great that you notice that, you know, and then just talk to them. Remember, like if, if there was a scenario where, you know, maybe it was somebody that you met a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was something you read in a book. Remember that time when we talked about, um, you know, this in that book, or remember that time we went to Puerto Rico, you know, wherever, right? If you traveled somewhere, use your your lived experiences to kind of bring that message home to your child. Like, hey, mm-hmm. well, remember this when, you know, it's, it's and going on vacation to a different country where they speak a different language is a great example, right? Or even if you have a relative who learn who is maybe learning a, a foreign language or something, you know, something like that. But just try right. to find something about your lived experience. And if you don't have one, you know, you just say, wow, great observation. And yes, and you just talk to them about like different people sometimes speak different languages. Like English isn't the only language mm-hmm. in the world, right? And then maybe you go on the computer and uh, you start doing this search, like how many languages? Wow, isn't that great? Like, isn't that cool? Isn't that interesting that there's more languages than just English? And sometimes people speak differently than how we speak. You know what I mean? You want to like go into that a little bit deeper if you can. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's great advice. I like the used uh, lived experiences. Because like, once again, if you're talking about the reading of the books, it's all about what they're experiencing and understanding. Right. So another question is, how do I educate my kids when they think someone looks different from them because of a medical disability? Mm, That's always a good one too. Um, Again, it's, it's teaching your kids that not everybody, not everybody has uh, two arms and two legs. Not everybody can walk. Not everybody can see or hear, right? There are just people that all over the world that are just different from us, right? And I think the more that you can show and be around different people that, you know, maybe have different disabilities, Mm -hmm. maybe your family goes, if you've never done this before, I did this one year with my kids when they were smaller. We, I took them to the Special Olympics, right? It was like a local thing in town. And I think it was like at a, a, a local college. And I had never been before either. Mm-hmm. And so it was a, you know, it was a free thing too. That was the other thing. It was like free. And you just go and you you just look and you observe and you just point out like, wow, isn't that cool that, you know, she can still run you know, um, as fast as she can, even though she has a prosthetic leg. Yeah. Right? It's like you, 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 you want to, as much as you can show your children that not everybody looks the way that the same way that we do mm-hmm. behaves the same way that we do. I think the better off your kids will be right. Because then they'll, right. they'll know again that 
the way that, that your family is, is not always the norm. Right. Definitely. That's a great example. We watched a lot of the Olympics and old Olympic highlights with my kids. And I never thought to about showing the Paralympics also and how incredible those athletes and how talented those athletes are. So that's a really good they example. They are. Right. And they say once you lose one of your your limbs or your senses or whatever, like it, your other senses mm-hmm. become that much stronger, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Or your other limbs are like that much stronger. And right. so the things that people can do who don't have all five senses or who don't have all limbs is just like amazing. And it's mind blowing to me. It's like, oh my God, they can they can still do that. They can still function in right. this everyday right. society that may not be built right for them. And um, I don't know. I just, I just admire uh, people that have disabilities. They're just so amazing to me. Incredible. Shira, I know you had a couple of examples that you wanted to share. Yeah. So as I already mentioned, you know, my older daughter, um, she's in public school in New York City, which I love. Um, and she's definitely exposed to a lot more cultures and ethnicities, um, you know, in school and obviously like living in the city. But she hears things and she's starting to notice things. So something that she said to me recently, we had a babysitter coming over and she asked me if she looked like her. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what to say. You know, I was surprised that she said that. I in my head, I'm like, "Why do you care? <laughs> she looks like right. you." <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay, like she's noticing these things, you know." And yeah. so I said, um, "I don't know, but it doesn't matter if she looks like you because she's nice and she's friendly, and you're gonna have fun, right? Like it doesn't matter, people." And she was just like, "Okay," you know. And then another yeah. time, she came home from school and. One of her really good friends in her grade is half Hispanic, half black. Um, Mm -hmm. And she said to me, she was just eating and she was just like, mom, Olivia's skin is brown. And I, I like pause and I go, you're right. Her skin is brown. And in my head, I'm like, do I say that? You know, I'm like, okay, like, I don't want to ignore her. But is she being literal because she knows the color of markers or are they talking about it in school? Like, I don't know. So then I started thinking, do they teach this in school at this age? Do they talk about it? You know, she's not the only person of color in that class. There's there's two Mm -hmm. out of 15. So not many. But, you know, and then I started thinking like, oh, I have to ask her teacher. One, you know, her main teacher, which is two teachers, one is white and one is black. So I'm like, they must talk about that. I was just so curious. Like I had so many other questions for her, you know, but I didn't want to ask her, why are you asking me that? Or why are you saying that and making her think like that wasn't okay to ask? It's just right. At the same time, like, would it be upsetting to her friend for her to go up to her and be like, Hey, your skin is brown. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. so I guess my big question that I'm going on a rant about this is like, yeah, as white parents of white kids, like, I think I think that that's important to talk about and for your kids to be aware of and you know to say things like yes you're right her skin is brown and she's mm-hmm. just like you also though you know you love gym and you love to paint and you have so much fun and isn't it great that your friends look different have different skin colors and different hair colors but you're all strong and smart and beautiful and she was just like okay <laughs> and then went on yeah. to the next, like, like, <laughs> 
you know, and then I was just thinking, like, now what do I do? Like, you know, so right. I'm yeah, curious and- what you sort of your perspective is, maybe personal or with your children. For sure. Yeah. So my, my kids, uh, like I said earlier, we, we live in a predominantly uh, white suburban area. My kids go to a predominantly white school. Um, and so, you know, I, we know me and my husband know that, you know, it hasn't happened yet, <laughs> knock on wood, but we know that one day th- there's going to be some sort of issue, mm-hmm. right? Um, hopefully not. But um, whether it be with our kids directly or maybe one of their peers, like there's going to be something that goes down and we're, we, we already know that. Um, and so we're fully prepared for that if and when it, it does happen. But um, I think for speaking of, of me as a person of color, I want you to notice that my skin is brown, right? I don't want you to be the friend or the family who says the thing that a lot of people don't like it when you say this, I don't see color. No, I want you to see my color, right? People are going to see my color anyway. Like that's the first thing that people are going to see. They're going to know as soon as they see me, if they are, if, if they are privileged to have sight, they are going to see that my skin is brown and and that's Mm -hmm. okay. Like that's just who I am. Right. Um, so I want you to see me. I want you to know, yes, I, I do have brown skin. Thank you for making that observation, right? Um, but I think it, it becomes an issue when it's like a ridiculed thing, right? Oh, your skin is so dark, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Right. That's With when negative it negative connotations. And right. that's something that I don't know how to explain to my daughter. And I asked her teachers in a parent-teacher conference a couple of weeks ago. I used all of these examples. And, I, and I, yeah. there was another example where she came home and said, so and so said having your nail po- having your nails painted makes you look Mexican. And oh. so then I was just like, okay, like do you know what it means to be a Mexican? Mm-hmm. She said no. And I so I said, you know, Mexico is a country, people speak Spanish and she knows Spanish, she learns that in school, but I was just sort of like she's making a generalization, she's being mean. You know, I don't want you talking like that. If you hear her saying that, tell her she's being mean. Like I don't know how to explain it in a way that a 4-year-old understands. So yeah. And that, that's exactly, that's exactly, that sounds good to me. You know what I mean? It's like teaching them that's making stereotypes from a young age. Is not okay. Yeah. I, th- I think I said like a generalization, she's grouping everybody together in a mean way or something. And I could tell she wasn't really following what I was saying. And then I, so then I thought like, what is this girl think hearing at home? Like her mother said this to her, like, you know, and you know, like to what other racist comments, like to, to people say in school. So I said something to her teachers. I was like, I want you to know that this kid said this is to my daughter. And if you hear that in school, like, are you addressing it? Like, are you, she's like, they were like, I've never heard that. And I go, you know, Olivia is half Hispanic. Like, what if that girl goes up to Olivia and says this? And then Olivia goes some crying to her mom. Like, I just was like going on and on and on about this because it really bothered me. And I thought, you know, if you don't hear it, I'm going to tell you, but like, do you talk about this in class? And, you know, they said at this age, they do, they talk about skin colors and different ethnicities and, and they have age appropriate books, but they don't really get into it that depth. And probably what you were saying, and, you know, as an educator, you want it to be natural, like maybe it's not out of the blue, but I don't know, like you have a whole 
subject on the different types of sports balls. So are you going to have a subject on different races? (laughs) When you think about what they pick and choose to teach the kids, like, shouldn't you include race and ethnicity and and differences? I don't know. I just was a little like fired up about it. (laughs) With good reason. Yeah. There's this whole, I don't know if you two are aware, but right now in uh, the state of Texas, And I think probably, is it Texas and I know there's something going on in Texas for sure. Uh, And then in Florida, right? So there's this whole banning of books thing that's going on. Yes, yes. Where books uh, about race and, uh, you know, some ethnicities and, you know, anything about like LGBTQ plus community, they are banning those books. Like there's hundreds of books on these lists, children's books included that the schools are banning. And so, you know, that's like the big thing right now is why are all of these people banning books? And, you know, again, I think for specific topics, you know, obviously you want to talk talk about them in, in age-appropriate ways. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of parents, grandparents, people that are just fired up about this whole thing about these books and um, why they should be banned. Yeah, it's terrible. It's really sad because I feel like we have an obligation, you know, me, Brittany, and and our other peers to raise our kids with more education and more awareness. And, you know, I can't really speak for my parents, but I feel like the baby boomers in general, you know, probably didn't really talk about race. And I remember when I was little, like my mom would say, you're not white, you're Jewish, but like, we're still white, (laughs) you know, like we still go through life being white, you know, and that, um, and even though yes, Jews are a minority in the world, they're, you know, they're not in New York, right. Or where I grew up in Maryland. Um, So, you know, just, it's sad. It's really sad. And it makes me think like, I couldn't imagine living in those states and raising kids in those states. And I, I would have to think that if you had the same care that you would consider maybe leaving and, and moving somewhere else, because, you know, the, the damage that that does to those kids who are quote unquote different or, you know, it's, it you're, if you're going back so many decades of all of the, work that everyone has tried so hard to improve in this country. It's Mm -hmm. it's really unfortunate. We've been writing a lot about it in uh, Betch's stuff, but it it makes me wonder, you know, what life is like in those schools. And that's also why I wanted to, I was curious. I'm like, you know, I never thought to ask, like, I assume, you know, I live in New York city, but that doesn't mean that they're teaching, you know, the sort of same values and principles that, that we care about. That's right. I always wanted to ask this uh, to, I never had the opportunity. And so I don't know if you want, if you feel comfortable answering it or not, but as a Jewish person, um, when something happens to a person of color, right? Whether it be like in the media or, you know, whatever, but we'll just say in the media, do you, you know, growing up as a Jewish person, do you have more empathy for say it's a black person. Do you have more empathy for a black person um, 
going through whatever situation they are because you grew up Jewish or? I, I think so a little. I also think in DC because it's so predominantly black, I definitely felt in my high school, a lot of black kids felt that they were being discriminated against. And at the time, I don't think I understood it. I definitely noticed it. I don't, I definitely didn't understand it, but I remember my mom talking a lot also because on my dad's side of the family, my grandparents were Holocaust survivors. So we talked a lot about your this hit, entire history of the Jews were based on you know the persecution of, of the Jewish people and having to leave their home. And there are a lot of similarities, right? And mass genocides mm-hmm. of, you know, with Africans and coming to this country against their will as slaves and just the entire history of this country meaning with Native Americans. I mean, it's Mm. really the same. It's just not talked about that. I would think Mm -hmm. the way that the media and the news talk about Jewish people and all of the museums and and Holocaust memorials. And that's how it seems to me, Uh, uh, you know, as a Jewish person, it feels like maybe we get more attention because again, we're still white. You know, I had this conversation with my dad because yeah. He's first generation American. His parents were Holocaust survivors. They their families lost everything. They came to America with nothing, and you know, as immigrants who didn't know English and had no money, and he was he was raised as an immigrant. And keep your head down. And you're Jewish. You're going to be persecuted against. You know, the Catholics in the Bronx think you killed Jesus, and like. You know what I mean? And he's like, mm-hmm. I get though that I, life was still easier for me because I'm white. And I was like, I'm proud of you for realizing that because look at like where you've come, you know, and that in one generation and so many minority families, I would probably mostly, you know, in the African American and, and Latin families that are here, it doesn't just change in one generation. I mean, this has been going right. on for centuries. Mm. Yeah. But that's interesting that you, so you were, you were, you have that empathy, right? And that, and that's, that's the similarity there. It's like, you just want to have, you just want to raise your kids with having that empathy yeah. and, and, and teaching them to, to, you know, accept other people and be kind to them. Whether you, whether you agree with their, with their, their values, their cultural traditions or not, you can still just be kind. (laughs) Yeah, right. absolutely. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. It's so enlightening. And I I need to go to your blog and I need to buy all these books. I have a couple, but I definitely am excited to buy a ton of these. I have a nine-month-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old, and we read so many books in this house. And um, I know that he's going to be really excited about all the new books. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we'll, I'll make sure to get that list from you too, so we could post it for all of our listeners to be able to buy those as well. Um, is there anything else you wanted to leave our listeners with before we go? Um, you know, I, I just, I really hope that maybe one day we can get to this place of appreciating everyone. Um, there's a lot going on right now in the world, mm-hmm. the crisis in Ukraine and, you know, just the pandemic that we're still living through. Uh, there's just a lot. And, um, you know, my hope and my goal really always is that we can just, um, 
learn to accept one another, right? Um, that's that's really it. And it's 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 a lot harder than it sounds, right? I wish it were that easy, but um, we are still very much a country divided here mm-hmm. in the U.S. And um, you know, unfortunately, but you know, my my hope, I do have hopes for the this generation that's coming up. Like I see it in my kids, I see it in uh, some of my friends' kids. Like they are this generation of kids that we're raising today. They are much more bolder. Uh, they speak out about things that they don't agree with, mm-hmm. and um, they're willing to make help make a difference in this yeah. world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, way more than when I was when I was growing up. Like when 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 I was a kid, it was like you just you didn't speak right as a, it, unless it was an adult. Yeah, and uh, these kids today, they do give me hope. This generation does give me hope for uh, a better future. So that's for all sure. we can hope for. Yeah. Definitely. And like we, we've been saying, it's on us to make sure that we help them find their voice and know right from wrong and how to accept everybody. Absolutely. So we, we definitely have to educate ourselves. And where can our listeners find you? Yes. So I am uh, on most social. So uh, under the username Here We Read, and that is – H-E-R-E, the word we is spelled with two E's, W-E-E, read, R-E-A-D. So I'm on primarily Instagram mostly is where I hang out. And I'm also on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest. And then my blog is hereweread.com. Well, thank you so much, Sharnay. This has been amazing. And that's it for this episode of the Betches Moms podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and to follow us on Apple and Spotify and to follow Betches Moms on Instagram. And remember, there are no rules on this podcast. I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom, right, Regina? Please stop talking. The Betches Moms podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales Pico. Editing by Stacey Wong. Social media by Brittany Levine. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow us at Betches Moms on Instagram and send us your emails to moms at betches.com. Betches.